From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Dan Mullen spent the last few months trying to rally the troops for the Orange and Blue game, and Gator Nation responded by showing up in droves last weekend in the swamp. What they saw was a combination of a scrimmage, a skills competition, and a celebration of Gator greats from the past looking to reinvigorate the program. On today's show, we'll recap the festivities and look ahead to the fall with the voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert. Also, Gator Vision Shelby Granath sits down with senior Alex McMurtry on the eve of the NCAA Gymnastics Championships to discuss her decorated career and their pursuit of a national title. But first, the spring game served as a coda of sorts to the first chapter of the Dan Mullen era, culminating with good vibes all around Gainesville. The action on the field seemed almost secondary at times to the general rejuvenation of the program, though there were still highlights to be had between the lines. In lieu of our traditional Gator Roundtable, this week we decided to welcome back Mick Hubert to give his take on what he saw in the swamp. Well, I think it was pretty exciting in terms of uh, getting 53,000 people there, and I think that was a pretty authentic count because as you looked over on the east side of the stands, they were very well populated over there, and those are the folks that had to sit in the sun. Obviously, the western side in the shade, that was filled as usual. Uh, so I, I think the crowd was very good, and uh, I think you can credit really Dan Mullen for that. I mean, since Dan got off the plane doing the chomp, you know, when he arrived in Gainesville in December, he hit the ground literally running and hasn't really stopped. And I know he campaigned far and wide throughout the Sunshine State, speaking uh, normally, uh, historically, the coaches have done a lot of speaking after the spring game, uh, usually the month of May, but Dan wanted to do his earlier because he was out there trying to drum up support for the spring game. And he came out saying, you know, we'd like to get 90,000 in there. And uh, while that to some seemed a pipe dream, his message being really one of simplicity in that I think we'll get a better performance out of our players if they play in front of a larger crowd with a little juice and a little buzz. We want them to play at their highest possible the ability that they can for, for a spring game. Now, obviously, there's limitations on what, what you can do in a spring game in terms of tackling and all the excessive blitzing, and, and it is what it is. It, it's not a legitimate game in that regard, but he still wanted to give relentless effort, and that's the term that I think that uh, uh, will be heard over and over again, relentless and straining. <laughs> want their players to strain and really, really give it their all and go, go 100%. So I think if you came to the Swamp, to be excited to, to, to get back and see that, I, I think then uh, you came away uh, happy. If, if you came to the swamp and you expected the, uh, a lot of uh, you know offense and uh, you know big sacks and all that kind of stuff, I think you had a bad perspective of of what you were going to see. So obviously, you know, it was uh, he wanted to make it fun, and he did that. I mean, I'm up there calling the game in the radio booth, and and I look down on a pass that goes down into the southwest corner of the field, down to my right, and. I'm, I'm speechless because I'm thinking that that's Lawrence Wright catching <laughs> a ball. He's got no helmet on. I see him got number four on. Doesn't say right on the back. I'm going, 
do I have the nerve to sit there and say Lawrence Wright just caught a pass in the spring game, a guy I hadn't played in 20 years? <laughs> but as it turned out, I knew it was Lawrence Wright, but I just was a little hesitant to say it. And then obviously uh, the joke was up, and yes, Lawrence Wright came off the sideline. He was actually standing down there by Brady Ackerman, our sideline reporter. And I said to Brady, I said, Brady, he was down there by you. He goes, yeah, he was. And all of a sudden he slipped the jersey on, ran on the field, and caught a pass. So that was all part of the, the fun. And then later, of course, I saw where Travis McGriff was was running out there, and he made a catch on his. And mm-hmm. so, you know, to bring a couple of '90s players back, all part of Dan's plan, really, to get these former Gators back involved. And I think some of them will tell you that, you know, the last few years it hadn't necessarily been an open door like that. And so, uh, I think there might have been well over a hundred guys there. I know I went to practice Adam on Thursday, two days before the game. And end up seeing about a third of the practice because they end up talking to Kevin Carter, you know, and uh, James Bates was there. And, and, you know, Chris Burnell Brown's back with the staff. He, he was there. And, you know, Steve Spurrier obviously there. And I end up talking and missing half the practice. So that's all part of the feel good to get all these guys back again. Because Dan has basically said, hey, we're all in this together. And it's such refreshing to hear that. And, uh, you know, he's been out speaking to the fraternities, to the sororities. He, he ran with the ROTC. <laughs> I mean, he's spoken all over it. He tried to involve everybody, get everybody invested into this and make it fun again. Because let's face it, he was here for four of those six years under Urban Meyer. And, and those four years he was here, two national championships were won. So he, he knows what it takes. And uh, so I, I think it was a good, a good afternoon for the two hours that we were out there. You talked about uh, Lawrence Wright coming in unexpectedly and then Travis McGriff. I know Doug Johnson, was uh, he was supposed to be involved, and then the, the play did not quite get executed as it was supposed to, I, I understand. Well, that's what I understand, too, and uh, I wasn't aware of what the play was, so I didn't realize at the time that it may not have gone according to the diagram, but, uh, you know, that it's all part of the fun, I guess, and, uh, you know. Uh, that was always the way it was. I know when Coach Spurrier was here, uh, you know, he would stop it in the middle and decide to kick a few field goals here and there, and, you know, and Urban sure. did this kind of the same thing. And so I, I used to fret about trying to call a spring game and, you know, and I think, I, how do I prepare for a spring game? They're, they're drafting the rosters on Friday. There's no way I can do my regular September, October, November game prep. Mm-hmm. And then finally I realized, Nick, you're overthinking this. Just go out there and have fun with it. And don't worry about it. So basically, it's a, it's the one game a year that I just show up for and just call what I see on the field with very little preparation because you can get the rosters until, you know, Friday about five o'clock. So right. uh, and then, you know, for us in the UAA, you know, brought back memories of the fact that there used to be, you know, and they re- reincarnated this again, Adam, with the, if your last name started with A through M. You were on the orange team, and then if you were in through Z, you were on the blue team. So even the, the UAA itself had a rooting interest. Uh, the winners were going to get you know a steak meal, and the losers were going to have to serve the steak meal. So uh, <laughs> you know I'm up there in a way having a lot of fun and thinking, boy, I hope the orange wins because I got the orange side. And it turned out the orange won. So uh, it was it was fun, and that's what uh, we used to do back in the day. Also, is get everybody involved in a rooting interest in the game. <laughs> Yeah, and you know the idea of taking things back in the day. It's both looking back and it's looking forward because I think so much of college football it's about tradition. And and, you know, I just read something yesterday about what Scott Frost is doing in Nebraska, trying to reinvigorate that feeling from the '90s when they were so good. You know, in college football, what's old is new again. A lot of times, you can get that same feeling, and you bring those players back. A lot of times, you're able to replicate what worked so well and, and led to all that success. Well, that's true. And, uh, you know, I, I can see exactly how 
uh, Scott Frost would want to do that at Nebraska because, you know, they, they were the beasts of college football, you know, in 94 and 95. And when we ran into the buzzsaw in 95, went out there undefeated in Tempe and they waxed us. And that was their second consecutive national championship. And it's been a long dry valley for Nebraska. I mean, we, we've gone through a dry spell here and the length of the dry spell here is really paled in comparison to what those people in Nebraska had to go sure. through. So, uh, you know, and, and yet there's a, there's a, there's a sense of sameness uh, between Florida and Nebraska in that people are starved for winning football. And there was a buzz uh, around campus on Saturday. I, you know, I, I driving to the game, there are people tailgating along out by Lake Alice and that's normally reserved for, you know, September and October. And here they're tailgating and, you know, the north end zone was packed out there they, and for the Gator Walk, and uh, it, it was a, clearly a buzz that we hadn't felt for a spring game. But then again, you're not going to get a whole lot of a buzz, in, in my opinion, when you're playing on a Friday night, and that's what we had the last couple of times. And you know, this went back to Saturday at three o'clock. And, and, and you know, one of the things that uh, Scott Strickland wanted to do as director of athletics is to have a, a great weekend, similar to what he had over in Starkville, and so. Uh, the We Chomp weekend had all these teams, and I, I thought it was just a just a well orchestrated event, and I, I think people should have had a good time with it. As far as what you saw on the field, you know, so much of the attention is about the quarterbacks, and I'm curious your assessment of Franks, of Trask, and also of of the newcomer Emory Jones. Well, I, I will say this: I, I think it's going to continue to be a work in progress. Because, you know, I, I just talked to Dan taping our spring football show that'll air probably next week. You know, I asked him basically what you asked me there. And he said, you know, he said, one of the things that we did when we first got to Florida back in 2005 was we just put the offense in. And he said, that's not really what we want to do now to just, just put the offense in. He said, we want to put some of it in, but it's constantly evolving. So I, I, I've evolved as a coach. And so he said, uh, you know, what we have at the end of spring practice is not necessarily what we're going to have at the end of fall practice. So what he was saying is that we'll, we'll continue to evaluate what we've seen on video. Uh, we'll continue to look at that in May and June and July, and then we'll have a better idea of what we think these guys might be able to do in August. But as the time goes through in August, we hope to get a little more separation or a little more definition of what's going on. So I, I just I, my sense is, Adam, that this is going to continue through the fall. And I think that he's going to take the strength of what he thinks Franks might be versus what he thinks the strength of the Franks might be and what they have this year may be totally different than what they play next year. And that that's the thing I think is that's refreshing to me is that he's not trying to fit, you know, the square peg in a round hole. Uh, and, and, and he said that repeatedly. He said, look at my quarterbacks at Mississippi State. They were all a little different, and the offense evolved. There was no one offense, and there's not going to be any one offense here. It's going to be whatever it takes to win, given who we have. Uh, now, I will also add this, that, a couple of years ago, uh, my analyst on the radio, Lee McGriff, who's seen a lot of Gator football and in the UF Hall of Fame, all-SEC wide receiver, his first look at Kyle Trask was that this guy can play. He liked the way the football came out of Kyle Trask's hands a year and a half ago. So he's been a big Kyle Trask supporter, and I think Kyle is getting his chance. You know, he's not any smaller than Frank's. I mean, he's about 6'4 and about 240, so very much similar. And I think what Dan wants to do, Adam, is the fact that Look, if the defense is going to allow the quarterback to run, if he's going to give you a run, he's going to give you seven or eight yards, we want a quarterback to be able to take that seven or eight yards. It may not be this offense this year that's going to get 15 designed quarterback runs. But 
if they allow you running lanes eight to ten times a game, then you better go take it and get those seven or eight yards because they might be another eight or nine yards on the back of that play. So I think he wants a quarterback that can do that. I think also what I saw was that we'll get the plays in a little quicker and we'll get the, the snaps off a little quicker. And therefore, I don't know if the linemen have to hold their blocks as long. Uh, you know, so I think just, just the quicker execution of the play, I think we'll run more plays. I think we'll play a little quicker. And I think it's, I don't want to say simplified because I think that gives you the wrong impression, but I think the quarterbacks will have an easier handle on trying to get guys in mismatch situations. And that's really what I think this offense is all about. We want our better players to be attacking your weaker players. And, uh, and obviously that that's easier said than done. And it looks really good when you've got, uh, someone trying to tackle Tim Tebow or someone trying to tackle <laughs> sure. Percy Harvin. But the idea is the same. We have to get the playmakers in space. Hopefully, you know, that may be a, one of our quicker guys, a Kadarius Tony, for example, working against some linebacker. Well, a lot of teams want to do that. And so the, that, that just makes a lot of sense. So I, I think the wide receivers, uh, will, will have a whole new, uh, appreciation for how they're being used. And yet, they have to be blockers. I mean, I remember Billy Gonzalez uh, saying this uh, 10, 12 years ago that uh, your number one task as a wide receiver is to block. And if you don't, if you can't understand that, then you're not going to play here. And that doesn't mean all we're going to do is you're just going to block, but you have mm-hmm. to be able to throw blocks downfield and throw blocks for other wide receivers. That'll you, your block will be just as instrumental in the success of the play as the guy next to you who might have caught the ball. That might reverse itself the next time he'll block for you. So I think our wide receivers are learning more about separation and about battling for the football and, and when, when to make the break on a route and all of that. I think we're going to see some Christmas there. And uh, I think he's excited about the running backs we have. And, uh, you know, obviously we, we've got to, we've got to continue to improve and recruit on the offensive line. So I think this offense will be a work in progress, but I also think that uh, I'm going to be shocked and we're all going to be a little saddened if we have a fourth consecutive year of offense in the hundreds. I, I don't see that happen. I don't see how possibly we're going to be in the 112, 114, 115 we've been through the last three years. So I think there's obviously a lot of room for improvement. I think we're going to see some improvement there from an offensive standpoint. And defensively, I thought we got a little vanilla last year. I thought we, uh, you know, basically kind of we got a little soft. And I think we'll go back to the aggressive attacking style. That's what the defensive coordinator Todd Grantham wants. And that's what really was what suited the Gator fans. You know, as much as the fun and gun has really been a part of the Gator offense, so has the blitzing, attacking, takeaway style that's dominated the Gator defense over the last really probably about 30 years. I mean, even back in the eighties, uh, they were playing this brand of defensive football. And I think we're going to see a, a more return to that. And the other thing that we're going to see is a renewed emphasis on the special teams. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have, I think guys that uh, obviously can re- catch the punts, return the punts. We're going to probably go after and block some punts, but we're also going to have the, the guys sprinting down there as the gunners. And uh, I, I think uh, that's going to be that's going to be so instrumental. Were there any individuals that really stood out to you in the spring game, guys that you maybe noticed and think are going to be impactful in the fall? Well, obviously, uh, there's a big question mark for the Gators when you look at the wide receivers. Now, when when you're talking about Van Jefferson coming in as he's trying to, to do and uh, not yet been cleared 
uh, coming in from Ole Miss, and then Trevon Grimes, obviously not yet cleared, uh, trying to come in from Ohio State. These two guys are playmakers and could be game breakers, uh, but they have to get them eligible. And where, where that stands, we may not know until right before the start of the season. If they're eligible, they make a huge difference, and they will be standout guys. You still have a Tyree Cleveland here. You still have uh, Kadarius Tony, who I thought looked pretty good in the spring game. And I want to see the improvement to a couple of veteran receivers in Josh Hammond and Freddie Swain. Uh, so I, I think, like I said, I think it's a very positive picture for the wideouts. Uh, there, obviously, we've got a lot of good running backs. And to see the return of Jordan Scarlett, he may be the best back. Uh, we'll wait and see on that. Uh, obviously, the Darius Lemons, the Michael P. Ryan, and, uh, you know, Malik Davis is still in the mix, obviously. And then there's a couple of uh, freshman running backs that really have a chance to play. And a guy like Damian Pierce from, from Bainbridge, Georgia, who broke all of Herschel Walker's records. I mean, he, he's pretty, he's pretty good looking player. And then Iverson Clement, another running back out of New Jersey. So there, there's a battle there and there's some depth there. So, uh, you know, a lot of it depends on how well the offensive line develops, how well the quarterback develops. But I think the one mainstay will be the Gators should be pretty strong running the football. I thought Antonius Clayton played very well. You know, he didn't play much last year. He got about nine games, never started, and he played a little bit. Yeah, so in addition to Antonius, uh, I, I thought, you know, the, these linebackers have a chance, Adam, to make some plays this year. And I don't know that they're necessarily married to that 3-4 scheme. Uh, they may be playing some 4-3. There may be a combination, a hybrid between the two. They're just going to. They're just going to be unpredictable and, and blitzing. And uh, and I think we, we suffered a little bit through the growing pains of uh, young secondary last year that now is a year older, and there's some playmakers there. So I think that's exciting. And, uh, you know, like I say, it was con- it's a controlled scrimmage when you look at it in a spring game like that because obviously they don't want to get hurt. And, for example, Felipe Franks goes 60 yards for a touchdown <laughs> run. Well, he, he could have been tackled four or five times sure. there. It wasn't. So, I mean, you have to all take that into into consideration a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure if Franks is going to uh, break those tackles in, in a regular season game, but that's the beauty of the spring game is he gets credit for a 60-yard touchdown run that uh, probably wouldn't stand up in the fall. But <laughs> in any case, uh, speaking of spring football, we talked about this last week with Chris and Scott, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on it that a few days ago, uh, Steve Spurrier was officially introduced as the new head coach for this Orlando semi-pro team. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the way the league develops, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective just what it's like to see Steve Spurrier back in a situation where he's calling plays. Well, I think it's great for him. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, he's not ready to just sit up there and, and look at it. And uh, quite frankly, what he had to look at the last couple of years was not all exciting. <laughs> so I know he's, he's reinvigorated now to go down there and they're going to play, uh, you know, 10 games. And then there's going to be four of the eight teams that will go into the playoffs. So there's possibility to play two more playoff type games. I think it's great for him and I'm excited for him. And, you know, the thing about him, Adam, we were, we're, we're in the radio booth last Saturday for the orange and blue game. And, and Steve drops in to talk to us. It's about two forty kickoffs at 302 and so he's talking to me and, and lee mcgriff and steve egan up there in the booth and you know it's about 258 and <laughs> egan says we got to go on the air and we're still talking i say hey, steve why don't you put a headset on and sit down here and join us he goes oh yeah sure i'll be glad to so he puts a headset on sits down between lee mcgriff and me and he worked the first half for us calling <laughs> you know, as, as the analyst and so uh, we didn't we didn't publicize it because quite frankly at 2 30 we had no idea that was going to happen so it just it just happened and when he when he left you know lee looked at me and said mick 
You've called national championships in football and basketball and baseball. And now you can say your career is complete because you've worked a football game with Steve Spurrier as one of your analysts. And I said, <laughs> yeah, it was great. And Steve was up. We, we had a great time just reminiscing about the old days. And Steve would look down there and say, he would say, oh, that was great. Look how they did that. And look how they throw on rhythm there on timing and separation. He was making, you know, great uh, insights as to what he was watching in the spring game. So, uh, Anyway, it was great to have him in our radio booth, and I hope the listeners who were with us for the spring game enjoyed that because it was kind of an extra bonus. So I know he's he's fired up, and uh, I'm happy for him, and uh, I hope that they can they can win that thing. Final thing for you, Mick. While we've got you here, we didn't have a chance to talk to you much during basketball season, but now that we're somewhat removed from it, I'm curious. Looking back on year three of uh, of the Mike White era, just your thoughts on where the program is and where it goes moving forward. Well, I, I'm so happy with uh, what Mike White is doing here. He's a, he's a tremendous guy, great human being, outstanding young coach. Uh, I think you have to consider what what were the obstacles throughout this season. I mean, you know, when 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 the season begins in November, there there's optimism that John Nick Boone is going to be back at the first of the year. He should be back by the start of SEC play, and then he gets on toward Christmas, and well, he's not going to be ready for the SEC, but Certainly by the 1st of February, we should have him back. And then it's the middle of January, and he's just not quite ready yet. You know, a setback here, a setback there. Probably look at the middle of February. And, and all the while, you, you don't expect a guy like Chase Johnson to have multiple uh, concussions because he played in four games. And, and as Mike White has said, he's a guy that gets it. He understands it. He's got a basketball IQ. He's six feet nine. He's going to continue to grow, get bigger, get stronger, and he can shoot and he can pass and he's he's got good ups. He can he can jump and rebound. So and they lose him. Uh, and then obviously uh, they had bigger plans for Gorjak Gak, but obviously he was injured playing last summer for the Australian team and never was able to really go full blast for more than uh, you know four or five minutes at a time and. And that was a blow. So as a result, our our, our interior was was just uh, really weakened and and with not any depth at all. So to go through that, and uh, people don't understand that we had to make so many different adjustments, and we were giving up so much on the inside. So I, I think that we'll be better off. Well, Mick, we really appreciate your insights as always, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Adam, thanks so much. Always a privilege, and you take care. When considering the most decorated athletes in Gator history, Alex McMurtry is no doubt soaring up the list. The senior gymnast has continued to raise the bar set by high-flying predecessors like Bridget Sloan and Keitra Hunter and still has some unfinished business heading into her final career meet this weekend. With her sights set squarely on bookending her career with another national title in St. Louis, Gator Vision's Shoab Granath sat down with Alex to discuss a variety of topics, beginning with her mindset entering her swan song. People have been trying to tell me to just enjoy the moment, stay excited, and, and I am. I'm going to love every moment of NCAAs, but but it's hard. It, knowing they're going to be like my last routines, um, I'll try to keep that out of my head when I'm going. But yeah, it comes and goes. I know it's going to be a, a big shift. I'm excited. I have something to look forward to, and I, I think I've set my future up well. It's just the transition will be hard. I, I don't want to say goodbye to the sport yet. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll move. We won't talk about that anymore. Okay, but um, <laughs> how's the team feeling heading to St. Louis? 
We feel great coming off of regionals. Usually we watch film and there's a lot of critiquing, some negatives that we talk about, some positives. But after we watch film at regionals, there was only positives. Um, this team has stayed super positive throughout postseason. I think that's our biggest advantage. Um, we've been focusing on a lot of details in the gym, which gets a little monotonous and tricky, but we just want to hit our best routines. And we know if we have our best performance, there's no one that's going to stop us. Mm-hmm. Now, Coach Roland has said it a few times, and just being around this team, you can just tell it's something different. Mm -hmm. Um, What makes this team so special and maybe different from teams you've been on in the past? I think we all just jive with each other. Um, We enjoy spending time with each other. We spend time with each other outside of the gym, which is huge. Um, There's been teams I've been on where we come to practice every day, we do our job, and we head home. But this team, it's just such a family aspect, and everybody's looking out for each other's best. And we have tough conversations sometimes because – you know you want that person to perform to their best, and, and that's what being on a team is is all about. And being a senior leader on this team, you have to call people out when they have to be called out, but everybody loves each other at the end of the day, and I think that's what really shines. When we get together, we have a blast. Now, there are some really talented teams this year in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. What will Florida need to do to come out on top this weekend? I think we have to be normal. We've had inner squads in the past couple of weeks. We've shown, we've proved ourselves, and I think doing exactly what we do in the gym is going to be enough. Um, when we get, get out into a meet situation, there are nerves, there's adrenaline, people want to be perfect, but that's not what we need to focus on. We need to focus on trusting our bodies, trusting the process, and, and being normal because we're the best team out there. I know it's a busy week, um, the banquet and practice and a few competitions. Is there something you especially look forward to when it comes to the week at the national championships? Ooh, that's a good one. I I love the banquet. I love seeing gymnasts get all dressed up. That's super fun. Um, but I really like practice day because I think we're super relaxed compared to any other team. A lot of teams are super nervous in that situation, but we just have fun and we're dancing around having a good time. But I love celebrating after every routine. I think that's the highlight. When we build momentum, it's the best feeling in the world. And I just can't wait to start the competition and keep it rolling, and it's going to be so fun. We're going to be pounding on the podium, screaming for each other. It'll be a blast. It's a little different than regular season because you guys are in corrals. Mm-hmm. How, what changes do you have to make when it comes to cheering and making sure you're louder? I mean, when it comes to vault, you guys are at the way beginning, and you probably can't even really see mm-hmm. the vault finish. So what makes that different? There's some pros and cons. Um, It actually keeps us closer. It forces us to, you know, be hand-in-hand, have our arms around each other. So we're very close-knit. The cons, however, is we're far away sometimes. We have to be extra loud, screaming, but um, the person who's going always knows that the team has their back and we're all super close and we're all just excited and hoping they do their best. Um, It is hard to even see sometimes if they're hitting their handstands, if they're sticking the landings, but we can definitely tell by their celebration and they run down the vault runway and celebrate with the Gator fans. Now we'll be there for four nights. It's the longest trip of the year. Who's your favorite person to room with on the road and why? Gowie! She's my roommate again this week! This is the third time we're rooming together. She just has a level head on her shoulders, is just super cute and funny, gets her homework done, goes to sleep. Like, I just love it. It's a perfect situation. Not too much going on, not boring. It's just great. I love Gowie. I can't wait. <laughs> now, this weekend will be your last time in a Florida leotard. Um, will you have a lot of family and friends there cheering you on? Yeah, um, my parents and some family members are coming. Unfortunately, my siblings can't make it. They have 
prior commitments, dang it. But um, I understand they've been super supportive this whole time. And yeah, I think we all filled the past list. We have a big Gator Nation section. What has it meant to you? I mean, your parents and, and your siblings have been to so many of your collegiate meets. What does that mean to you? It's incredible. I know growing up, club competitions were like six hours long and they were the most boring things in the world and um, it was like punishment for my family but now I think my parents actually it's their livelihood they get more excited to see all the parents they're constantly texting the parents and um, it's just a fun environment to see like it's almost their treat they get to travel around the country and and support the Gators and how much fun is that yeah I want to rewind a little bit um when and how did you get started in gymnastics I was two or three as the story goes, I was just a little rug rat climbing on every cabinet. At one point, my parents like caught me walking on the beam of the um, swing set outside. So like I just was a crazy child. Um, my parents put me in gymnastics to teach me how to fall in case I did fall off some of the things I was climbing. Um, they just wanted me to be safe. So that's the story. I started gymnastics and fell in love with it. We moved around a lot when I was a kid, so just bounced from gym to gym until we moved to Virginia. And I mean, from then, I was long gone. I was just engulfed in the sport and and I've been here ever since. <laughs> was there a specific moment maybe when you remember, wow, I'm pretty good at this and I can kind of see a future in it? Yeah, it's interesting because I don't remember having like hardships growing up in gymnastics because I wasn't scared of anything. I was a little tater tot, so I just flipped really easily. Um, and I remember reaching like about 12 and I was already level 10, but that's the first time I I got hurt, I was scared of things, and, and at that moment I realized how far I'd come, how good I was, and how I really needed to stick with it. So it's actually interesting that a hardship was the first thing that made me realize, hey, look how far I've come in the last 10 years, like, I have to stick with it, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So you basically used it as motivation then to get better. Mm-hmm. And in Virginia, when you're in gymnastics at a high level, um, it becomes a small world and Gabby Douglas was actually one of my biggest motivators because we were rivals we were arch enemies <laughs> and um every weekend we would show up to a meet and she would take one win and I would take the next and I would skip a level I would think I would get past her and she would <laughs> skip a level too so it was just interesting like growing up with such talent um she didn't go to my gym but in region seven we just had so much talent that pushed you to be better and led me to UF Looking back at where you started, that little two, three-year-old, did you ever think you would have the career you've had? Absolutely not. I actually, at one point, was on an all-boys team because the gym only had a men's team. Like, So I was the strongest one doing male conditioning, like just going through life. And it was just so fun. And I think that's the perk of gymnastics when you're so young. You fall in love with it and you don't look back until you're long gone and you have such a career and such a life that you've built. Now, looking back on your time here at Florida, you were part of a national championship team, an SEC championship team. You have the most 10s in program history. I mean, can you even pick a favorite memory from your time here at Florida? No, honestly, every team and every year has been so different. It's crazy looking back to like freshman year and sophomore year when I had Keetra Hunter and Bridget Sloan. Like, you rattle off these stats, but I can't believe I've ever gotten more 10s than Sloan. You know, she she won everything. So it's incredible. It's surreal. Um statistics seem like there's no way I could have reached that but it's just fun getting to know the team um, getting to know the rising freshmen and going on that journey with each of them there's 15 girls on the team and and it's just crazy the bonds you can form that create these amazing memories with the coaches too mm -hmm. 
I mentioned the 10s, you mentioned the 10s. You have a gym slam. Is there a specific 10 that maybe is extra special or really stands out to you? Um, I have two that stand out. My first 10 on vault, my first home meet as a Gator. That was just a surreal moment. Uh, I don't even think I, I knew I could get a 10. I don't even know what I was going for. I was just trying to do a good vault. So to have my parents there, to have Gator Nation behind me, like, this girl's going to have an awesome Gator career. It was cool. And then my senior year, um, my 10 on beam. That 10 meant a lot to me because it's such a mental game when it comes to beam. I'd hit some perfect routines and then didn't stick my dismount a couple times this season. So putting it all together like meant the world to me. Jenny and I had worked so hard on it, and I know she was super proud of me. So it's just the beginning and the end, and putting it all together is what really counts mentioned your freshman year and you mentioned Jenny there was a coaching change after your freshman year Jenny has not been your coach all four years can you maybe tell us something though that something about Jenny that maybe Gator fans don't know or realize yeah um Jenny is tough on the people that can handle it which is unfortunately has been me a couple times um so I think To Gator fans, they see her as this extremely positive supporter role, but in the gym, it's tough, you know? She's nitpicky about the details. She's a judge, so she has that judge's eye. And I think it's it's a tough love. She's gonna push you when you need to be pushed, and I've gotten that a couple times, and, um, but then she's there to celebrate with you when you have a victory, and I think that's what's made my career great with Jenny, because she knows when I'm not at my best, and she knows how to get me there and as a coach and gymnast relationship that's been the strongest thing um you need those people who are your biggest supporters and throughout life I know I can come back to her and say like what's my next step how do I be the best version of myself you've also had to manage a back injury your entire time here at Florida (laughs) what has that been like for you it's been a, a learning experience I started my freshman year and we couldn't handle it very well honestly The trainers didn't know how to handle it. The doctors didn't know how to handle it. Actually sat out for four months my freshman year. Didn't know if I would be competing. Didn't know if I'd be redshirting. So that was really hard. Um, With every year, though, it's gotten so much better. I figured out what exercises I needed to do to strengthen my hamstrings. Um, It's really just been a process of figuring out how much I need to do in the gym. And junior and senior year have been by far the best at managing it. My freshman year, I wasn't able to compete floor, and now I'm just thrilled to to have the chance to do all around and compete floor, which has been my favorite event for most of my life. So now some fans, some casual gymnastics fans, might not realize that collegiate gymnasts are kind of considered old for this sport. Mm -hmm. I know you're not training for Tokyo 2020, and unfortunately your gymnastics career is coming to an end, but Mm -hmm. what's the next step for Alex McMurtry? Um, I'm always going to be involved in gymnastics. I'll be at all the Gator meets, but the next step for me is PA school. Uh, you have to have some work experience, so I'll work for a year and then go to PA school. I'm so excited. The health field is the top goal for me. I've always loved medical shows, um, anatomy, physiology, so like this is what I'm so excited for. It's my next step. I think, honestly, when I say goodbye to gymnastics, this is what's keeping me afloat. Um, I'm passionate about everything I do, so this is just the next step and the next challenge. School here at Florida? I hope so. I'm going to be applying to some programs around the country. I would love to go to Duke, UF, any of these top schools for PA school. and It's just two more years of school, but I'm not, I'm not ready to say goodbye to school yet. <laughs> so do you have any fun summer plans, any post-gymnastics plans? Ooh, I've been trying to plan a Europe trip. Traveling is my favorite thing to do. So we'll see. Um, 
money and planning are always restrictions when you have a college student, but I'll figure something out. Uh, I'm resourceful, so I can just travel with a backpack, and I want to go backpacking through Europe, so hopefully that's on the agenda before PA school, just as a graduation gift to myself. There you go. Now, I know you still have some goals you want to accomplish this weekend, but how would you sum up your Florida gymnastics career? Oh, it's been everything I wanted to do and more. Coming into this season, I said, Jenny, I just want to win. We got to win. This is the team that's going to win. And I wholeheartedly stand behind that. I think this team has it in them, but I just want to end on a high note. I want to be proud of myself when I leave that arena this weekend. And if I fall, if I mess up, it's okay. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to persevere because that's how my career's ended up. And um, whatever's best for the team is going to be best for me. And I, I'm excited. It's going to be bittersweet. But if I end on a high note this weekend, it'll just be icing on the cake. Well, Alex, good luck this weekend, and thank you for your time. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Follow gymnastics as they compete at the NCAA Championships beginning on Friday night at 7 on ESPNU. Then check out FloridaGators.com to find out what's next based on how they perform. We'll have a full recap of that and more in a new episode next Thursday, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in St. Louis.